Good morning, church. All right. Somebody's awake back there. All right. So it's a joy to be back with you all again. My name is Stephen Pollitt. I'm the associate pastor here at Gateway. And as we saw the video um, from Blake as he's preparing to go uh, on a hike uh, and spend some, some time with the Lord in Colorado, um, just continue to pray for him. Just let the, the Lord continues to reveal himself. Uh, to him, to get the, the emotional and, and, and spiritual and physical rest that he needs um, during this time. And, and in the meantime, uh, like I said, it's been a joy uh, for me to be able to, to be up here more than I, I normally am, uh, especially over a series. And Colin did an amazing job last week, uh, continuing our ser- series in Proverbs. And, and for this week, uh, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 10. Um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Um, And what we're going to do is we're going to dig into each one of those verses individually this morning. Um, But before we dig into that, uh, you know, Proverbs is is an amazing book. As I was preparing this message and I was reading uh, different devotionals and different books and and just getting different perspectives on on Solomon, his mindset, and and the things that he was wanting to pass on uh, to others, how God in his infinite wisdom has used this book um, to be able to share his character and who he is with us, to educate us in what um, wisdom is. But what we see in Proverbs, in chapters 1 through 9, uh, we see the philosophy of wisdom. Uh, we see a lot of, of uh, here, here's, here's what philosophy is and, and why it's important. Here, here's, here's what these Proverbs actually uh, mean. And now we're looking in Proverbs 10, and we're starting to look at the, the application of wisdom. Here's how we apply these things to our real life. And one of the devotionals that I read uh, is say that you can be an atheist and live according to Proverbs and live a good life on your way to hell. Like Proverbs is an important book that that even in a secular context can be beneficial to, to people, to humanity. But see, we have the secret that sets Proverbs apart. We have the secret of not just applying the wisdom that we find out in Proverbs, but we know who Jesus Christ is. We know what he's done for us. We know the, the sacrifice that God make, made by sending his son. And so when we read Proverbs through this lens of being Christians, it goes beyond just wisdom, and it moves to the character of who God is and what he wants for us, how he loves his children what he wants to pass on to them. So in order for us to receive what God and Solomon has for us, we have to have the right posture. And so we need to take on a posture of a child gathering wisdom from a father. And again, when it comes to us as believers, we don't have to contemplate and try to figure out who God is. He tells us in Scripture. He tells us exactly who he is. He's our father. So what I want to do here in a moment is I want us to to spend this next few moments together. We're going to read the text all together. I want us to prepare ourselves to get in the right posture to be able to to hear what God and what Solomon has for us this morning. But again, as I was writing this, I started thinking about it. It's like, how do do I get in the posture of a child? What does it look like for me uh, to get back into a situation? Especially, I'm, I'm a dad. I'm used to barking orders, not taking orders, right? 
And so we have to prepare ourselves and prepare our hearts to be able to gain the wisdom and apply the wisdom that God would have for us. But then I started having flashbacks. Anybody else raised by a, a pretty extreme disciplinarian in the house? Am I just the only one? So my grandfather who raised me, amazing man, pretty strict disciplinarian. Jasmine, did I see your hand go up? No, okay. Sorry, Charlotte. <laughs> She's such a great kid. Um, I started thinking about my grandfather. He was a very strict disciplinarian. Um, and as I shared a few weeks ago, he raised four boys, and then they took me and adopted me and raised me as their fifth son. Like, I can't imagine raising five boys. Like, that seems like total chaos to me. And by the time they got to me, all the, the rest of their sons were gone out of the house. Um, and it was just me. So I was raised pretty much like an, an only child. And my grandfather had seen, my grandmother had seen the mistakes that my dad had made, that my parents had made. Um, and they didn't want me to make the same mistakes. So my grandfather uh, was a disciplinarian. But here's the thing. As a disciplinarian, I never got spanked, like not a single time. Like I never had to go cut my own switch or grab the leather belt or get the wooden spoon, all the stuff that a lot of people um, have had to experience. I had to experience my grandfather's tone, and I would much rather for him just to, to beat me to death <laughs> than have to be lectured by my grandfather. And so I flashed back to a couple different moments as I was trying to prepare myself and get in the posture of a child to be able to receive the wisdom that God would have for me, because again, as we grow up, we're not used to being lectured. And so I was thinking back to when I was learning to have to drive a, a manual transmission, a stick, and I had a tiny little car, it was a little Ford Aspire, and that's what I learned to drive uh, a stick on, it was a tiny little thing, it like, looked like a go-kart. Um, and we lived on a hill, and so I'd have to practice driving a stick on this hill, and it was the, the practice of letting out enough clutch at the same time, adding enough pressure on the gas pedal so you don't just fly into the neighbor's yard behind you or take off and, and jump over the, the hill. My grandfather would sit beside of me, and he would just lecture me on the importance of finding that space between the clutch and the gas. And if I went too fast or if I did anything wrong, his key wasn't like, you did this wrong or, or do this again. He would always yell that I was being too rapid. And so we'd get out on the street, and I, I would go through a red light or something. And I was like, it wasn't that I was going too fast. I was going too rapid. Um, and that was his, his statement over and over again. I remember... Uh, in high school, I struggled in math. Like, I loved to read, I loved English, I loved all of that, but I struggled in math. My sophomore year, I was in geometry, and I just gave up doing any of the work, and I just put all my focus into other things. Like, I was so bad at this that the goal is like, I could either be bad at this or I just don't do it. And so, in the, Stephen's teenage brain, I just didn't do any of my work. And so, we went into to, uh, winter break, my teacher calls the house and talks to my grandfather. He says, Stephen hasn't turned in any of his work. He's failing geometry. And he's going to get a, an F on his report card if he doesn't turn these projects in. I'm going to give him a chance to do it if he gets them in by tomorrow. So my grandfather loads me up in the car. We drive to my school. And I get my geometry book. I get all the assignments. And we sit down. And we do all these assignments together. And I turn them in. And I pass geometry. But I remember the lecture that I got on the way to the school and on the way back. And the things that he would say to me is like, Stephen, you're going to mess up your entire life if you don't put forth the effort that you're called to put. 
He's like, if you don't pursue your education, you're not going to be able to have these, these doors open to you that I think God's going to want to open for you. And as a teenager, I didn't want to hear that. I was getting lectured. But he was absolutely right. I still know how to drive a manual transmission because of those moments of him yelling in my ear that I was going to wrap it. I remember he was such a disciplinarian as a kid. Um, my, my, again, my dad struggled with drugs and alcohol like since he was really young. And so I never um, had that struggle. And a part of that was because I was deathly afraid of what my grandfather would do to me if I did. Um, and as a lot of teenagers have, I had a little bit of acne on my face as a kid. So I went to the dermatologist and they gave me some medication for my acne. And I went on a flight and the uh, bottle that all this medication was stored in broke. And so I did what every logical teenager would do is I put all the pills into a Ziploc bag and I stuffed that Ziploc bag into a sock and I stuffed it in my dresser drawer. And uh, logical, right? And so my grandfather periodically would always search my room. Like it was kind of like growing up in a prison. They, they turned the mattress and all this stuff. Then I'd have to put my room back together. And he, I went to school one day and he searched my room and he found in the sock a Ziploc bag filled with pills. I remember I came home, as soon as I walked in the door, he had a fistful of them, and he just threw them at me, and he points at me, and he says, Stephen, I knew you were on drugs. <laughs> and in my head, I was mistaken, like, what have I been doing that makes him think, like, I'm on drugs? And then I realized I was a teenager, and, like, we all just act like we're on drugs. Um, and I told him, I was like, no, Papa, this, this, this is my antibiotics, the bottle broke, all this stuff. He didn't believe me. He called my uncle, who's a doctor and said, like, here's all this stuff. He goes, yeah, it's his, his acne medication. My grandfather looks at me and goes, pick all that up. So I pick all this stuff up. <laughs> and then I got a lecture of just the importance of not doing drugs. But he told me something very important during that lecture. And he said it to me multiple times as a kid. And it's something that I want to pass on to my children as well. He says, Stephen, if anybody ever asks you to do something that you just don't feel comfortable doing or you don't feel that it's right, he goes, you tell that person that you can't do it because I will kill them, and then I will kill Stephen as well. And I was like, he didn't mean this like as a like, haha, funny, I'm going to kill you. Like, he'd kill both of us. And so I got to use that excuse growing up. Like, if anybody offered me anything, or if I was ever in a moment that I was uncomfortable, just say, I can't do that, because I don't want my grandfather to kill both of us. And like, I want my kids to be able to, to use me as an excuse, as their comfort, as everything else. So as much as I hated being lectured. In all those situations, I thought I was like, my grandfather was right. Every single time, the wisdom that he passed on to me, even though it was through yelling in my ear about driving correctly or doing my homework and, and setting myself up to have a future or being able to, to use my grandparents the, the way that every parent should be used as a defense of their children. He was right every single time. And so I thought again about this posture that we're supposed to take. Now we can read Proverbs 10 verses 1 through 7 and we can read it like we're being lectured by Solomon. We can read it like we're being lectured by God. But if we take on the posture of a kid and we know who God is, we know that he's right. So here's what I wanted us to do. We're going to read this text together. We're going to pray together. And we're going to read these seven verses knowing that God is right. 
So in Proverbs 10, it says, A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Blessings crown the head of the righteous, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. The name of the righteous is used for blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. And so, let's take on this posture of God's children. Let's hear from the Lord, knowing that he is right. Pray with me. Lord, I pray over these next few minutes that we have together, as your sons, as your daughters, Lord, I pray that this text comes alive. I pray that, that we hear from, from the wisdom that you would have for us and that we apply these things in the areas that we need to apply. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that we continue to be faithful children that bring our Father joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, this, this wisdom over and over again in, in, in chapters 1 through 9, we see that wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. And now in chapter 10, we're learning the practices, the things that we have to apply to our life uh, in order to have wisdom for ourselves. Um, but also as we are in this posture of children, being taught something from a God that loves us more than anything, this wisdom that we have, we're called to pass it on to the next generation as well. And so that's also the, the lens that we're going to look at, is that we have something valuable to pass on to those that are younger than us as well. And again, we don't have to figure out who God is. He tells us right in his word. And so in verse 1, it says, A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. The thing that we have to understand is that our discipleship, it centers so much on the belief and the life of our parents and who we were raised by, who has spiritual influence over us, whether it's spiritual parents as well, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, a leader in the student ministry, a neighbor that is invested in us. But our belief centers, our discipleship centers so much on the belief of, of how Christianity is practiced. So in order for us to bring joy to the Father, we have to make sure that our faith is on display for all to see. So here's what we have to do, church. We have to let our children, we have to let our next generation be a part of our faith. And that includes our failures. How we say, I'm sorry. How we allow God's grace to pour over us is extremely important. So I really, truly feel one of the struggles that we have as a culture in our, our, our uh, life right now is that we don't allow others to see who God is to us. We don't allow our children to see us studying God's Word. We don't allow our children to hear us praying thoughtful, deep prayers and being in relationship with, with our Heavenly Father. When we're wrong, we don't admit that we're wrong, and pride tends to creep in. So in order for us to bring joy to the Father as obedient, faithful children, we have to put our faith on display. 
and be willing to be wrong and allow God's grace to shower over us. The other thing that we have to realize is that, you know, as parents, as Sunday school teachers, those that we have spiritual influence over, we are raising fallen human beings, and we are called to handle them with care. Where this wisdom that God has gifted us and he's imparted to us, that we have the opportunity to pass that wisdom on, to share who Jesus Christ is so that they might have an eternity with him as well. And we have to holistically live out our faith. It's more than just do what I say. It's us putting our lives on display, our relationships with God, allowing others to see what that looks like. Bet you weren't ready to hear this part. But Plato, a Greek philosopher, he says, culture cultivates what it honors. I find that extremely true. In the culture that we, we live in today, we see what we honor as a culture on a daily basis. But yet we hide what our faith says. We hide our relationship with God. Not that we're called to be Bible beaters, but we're called to love the people inside of our culture, to share with them who Jesus Christ is. And again, culture cultivates what it honors. So the question is today, as a child of God, as a son and daughter of God, what do you honor? Do you honor your work? Do you honor relationships that you shouldn't be in? Do you honor our own significance and our own pride? Do we honor our own comfort? Or do we honor God? And so I think one of the most important things that we can do as we become children that bring joy to the Father, as we pass on this wisdom to the next generation, is that we have to, to share with them who Christ is, but also share who they are to Jesus Christ. You know, too many times we tend to praise kids for the talents that they have instead of praising them for their virtue. And that's something as a father, I want to make sure that I'm praising my children. I want to make sure that I'm praising the, the students that we have in our church, not because for the talents that they've been given that are probably going to fade when they're our age, but for the virtue that they have and how God has created them. So I have a picture I want to share with y'all. Um, so I'm not sure what I think about the lipstick yet. She's only four. This is my daughter, Carly, and she had a dance recital a few weeks ago. And this was her dance recital picture. And the, the, uh, one of the things that I got to do a few weeks ago is we had a, a daddy-daughter dance. And so we practiced for a couple months, and we learned all the choreography. Um, and she is an extremely talented dancer for four years old. Like, she's incredible. Blows me away that at four years old she can learn different uh, moves and, and just memorize things because I couldn't memorize anything. She was having to lead me the entire time. But most likely when my daughter is my age, she's not going to be dancing on a stage. She's going to be a mom. She's going to be a wife. My prayer is that she's a woman of God leading others. leading others to him. So yeah, I, I, I praise her for being able to dance, but I praise her more because what I see in her 
is so much joy, and that whenever I come home, she comes and gives me a big hug, gives me a big kiss where my boys will just punch me in the stomach. <laughs> but she seeks to make sure that I'm happy. She tries to make sure her brothers are happy, and she'll look in a room, and she'll like pick up things, and she'll try to take care of others. And that's, that's an amazing virtue, and that's what I want to praise. I have another picture. So on the bookends here, this is Caden, and that's Caleb. It's my two twin sons with uh, two of their best friends, Graham and Grayson. And they play baseball together. And I'll tell you all a quick little story here. Uh, during the season, I, I coached their baseball team, and I had a coach call me and say, Stephen, I have a scheduling conflict. Um, can we switch teams who we're playing, and I'll play you, um, and this other team will play a different team, and that I really feel uh, that, like, we're a more even team, so that would be a better game. And, like, my pride took a little hit when he said that over the phone, and I wanted to demolish this team, right? And so we played baseball, and we played the team, and we beat them 21-1. to these four boys on the screen right now were represented like nine home runs in this game. And they did everything right. They ran the bases right. They were hitting the way they were supposed to. Everything that we had taught them to do, um, their talent was showing out. But at the end of the season, I give, I pay my players, I give each player a dollar. And I share with them not what their talent holds, but what their virtue holds. And so Caden... He listens so well, and that's going to pay off so much. His, his wife one day is going to be amazed because he's going to listen unlike any other husband known to man. Grayson hits the ball harder than any other kid that I know, like absolutely knocks the cover off the ball. But the thing that I admire most about Grayson is that he doesn't give up. He gets frustrated if he does something wrong, and he beats himself up, but he never, ever gives up, and he keeps playing. Graham brings joy everywhere that he goes. Like, I tried to think of the most boring scenario in the world. Like, if I was in a library with only one book, um, and nuns were seeing Kumbaya, and I could just, like, bore it out of my mind, Graham would make that the most fun experience ever. And so I want to tell Graham about the joy that he brings. It's a, it's a, a, a virtuous thing that he can bring joy to every situation. And then Caleb, he just... I ask him to do something, and he does it. Like, he wants to please me so much. He wants to bring joy to his father. Like, and I realize once they get around 13, all that's going to shift, <laughs> right? But I want to praise them for the virtue that they have, not for the talents that are going to go away in the next 20 years. In verse 2, it says, ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. So don't be pulled away from the path that God wants for you. When I was in college, I got my degree in criminal justice. I studied criminology, hence why I went into student ministry for so many years. I applied more of what I learned in criminology than I did in seminary to, to student ministry. But the thing that I learned in there is we would study like criminals from back in the day during the prohibition, prohibition period. The thing that I noticed, every single one of them died. Every single criminal case that I, that I studied in college, the one that was pursuing ill-gotten gains, died. And so in verse 2, it says, Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. 
And here's the thing, it's not our own righteousness, it's the righteousness from God that he's gifted us, and that we get to put that on display. In verse 3, it says, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. So we have to understand that God is with us. So many times in my life, and I know so many uh, of us in this room right now, at times has used God as a good luck charm, and we just pull Jesus out when we need him. When things get tough, that's when we pursue Jesus. We have to understand that our heart has to be right. And that's when we share Jesus. We don't share this Jesus that is a good luck charm, that whenever you're feeling bad about yourself or whenever you're struggling, whenever life gets challenging, you pull Jesus out, and then he's going to see you through that, and then you put him back away. He's not this good luck charm that we can pull in and out, that he has to envelop every aspect of our life, that our heart has to be right. He doesn't let the righteous go hungry. He thwarts the craving of the wicked. In verse 4, it says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. So we're called to have a work ethic. As followers of Christ, we're called to work diligently. So diligently in the, the Hebrew text, it can be translated into happiness. But that diligent work, it produces happiness among us personally and amongst our families. Next week, I have the opportunity to load my family up in the minivan, and we're going to drive 14 hours to my family's farm. And I love this farm because it's the farm that I learned how to hunt, I learned how to fish, I learned a work ethic. It's the same farm that my grandfather grew up on, and he learned a work ethic because of this farm. It's the same farm that my great-grandfather, George Omer Pollitt, grew up on. He learned a work ethic and passed that down to the next generations. It's the same farm that four more generations before my great-grandfather learned a work ethic on, learned to pursue the Lord, and pass that on to more generations. My kids get to have that same experience. My prayer is that they'll get to learn a work ethic that's been passed on for generation to generation. In verse 5, it says, He who gathers crops in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. So church, we have right now, we have this moment to make much of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. It's not in five years, not in 10 years, not in 15 years we'll start really living passionately for him. We have right now. And our character shows when you do the right thing, even when it doesn't benefit you in the moment. And so in this harvest, when you're gathering up the harvest for the meals that you're going to eat in the winter, you work diligently, you work hard. It doesn't benefit you in the moment, in that hot sun, when you're toiling and laboring over something that's beneficial in six more months. It's when our character truly shows, is when we do something that doesn't directly benefit us, but we do it because it's the right thing to do. This is the wisdom that's passed on. This is the character of God. We take on this posture of a child, gaining this wisdom from him. In verse 6, it says, Blessings crown the head of righteousness, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Abraham was told by God that he was with him everywhere that he goes. You see, in Judges, it says that God's people had turned away from him so much that they all started worshiping uh, the gods of Baal. 
They didn't know who God was. They didn't know his character. So we have to act like we know him. Because if we don't, our true nature comes out. He's with us always. In verse 7, it says, The name of the righteous is used in blessings, but the name of the wicked will rot. See, like we, we name our children after legacies. We don't name our children after those who will not be remembered. But great men and women, they live on. If they know who Jesus Christ is, they live on for eternity. So church, I shared about my, my family's farm that I get to go share with my children next week. And here's the deal. Like, I, I'm proud to be a pilot. I'm proud of the legacy my grandfather's passed on even though I didn't appreciate his lectures at the time. He was always right. My prayer is one day, my kids will acknowledge that. Dad was probably right. But more importantly, I'm proud to be a child of God. I'm proud to be his son. I'm proud that you are my brothers and my sisters, and we have to pursue Christ together. So we're called to succeed in what truly matters and bring joy to the Father. And the only way we can do that is have the posture of his kids. So let's put our faith on display. Whether it's the kids that you have in your home or whether it's those that you serve in this church or other ministry opportunities that you have. Let's succeed in what matters. Let's put Christ first. Let's bring joy to a Father that has given everything for us. Because church, he's right. So we might read scripture. It might sting a little bit. It might feel like a lecture from time to time. He's always right. And this God that is always right thinks so much of you that he sent his son to die on the cross to raise him three days later so that we may be be called children of God, to carry on his righteousness. This God that is always right is right about you. He's right about the calling that he has on your life. He's right about this faith that we're pursuing day in and day out. So it's more than what just happens on Sunday morning. We have to put our life on display. Let's let our children see why we read scripture. Let's share who he is to us and what he's done for us. Let's put our pride aside and say when we're wrong, we're wrong and we apologize. Let's let our true faith be on display. Let's take the posture of his children and receive what he'd have for us. Let's pray. Lord, I come before you today. I thank you so much for your word and your truth. I thank you so much for Proverbs and how you still work through Solomon, the most wise man to ever walk this earth. Lord, thank you for imparting your wisdom to us. And Lord, I pray that you give us that daily, that you give us wisdom to pursue you above all else, that we push our own comfort to the side, 
that we push our own selfish ambition and desire. We push that, all of that to the side to pursue something better. So Lord, continue to reveal yourself to us. Continue to show us that you're better than anything else that we can pursue. In Jesus' name, amen.